Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that as carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere increase, foods lose their nutrient density. So even if you're eating the very best food you can get, it actually has less nutrients because it's growing faster because it got more carbon dioxide from the air. A new study suggests that by the end of this century, rice may not deliver the same B vitamin levels that it does today. Researchers grew 18 varieties of rice in experimental rice paddies in China to test what higher CO2 levels would do. And the results predicted losses in four vitamins, B1, B2, B5, and B9. And that matters because those B vitamins help your body do what it's supposed to do, especially having a healthy brain and having normal fetal development. They did similar experiments in Japan and found that an average 10.3% decline in protein, an 8% decline in iron, and a 5.1% drop in zinc, which supported even further studies in other crops. Uh, The good news is that vitamin B6 and vitamin E actually increased. And this matters for all foods we eat, but nine of the world's 10 most rice-dependent countries are in Asia, and the other one, if you're wondering, is Madagascar. And these researchers are predicting that about 600 million people currently don't have other options to switch to another food source. Those people could have nutrient deficiencies from rice declines. What this means is that you want to pay attention to the nutrients you're getting. You want to eat the highest quality food you can get. And you know, I think there's a good argument for supplementing, especially if you can get good quality supplements identical to what you would find in food. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's guest is a dear friend and amazing human being named Alberto Viotto. Alberto is a medical anthropologist who studied shamanic healing in the Amazon and Andes for more than three decades. I've done uh, training with him uh, years ago, and we've known each other ever since. He's an author, and he's the founder of the Four Winds Society, which is an organization dedicated to bringing ancient shamanic traditions into modern medicine and psychology. This is Dr. Viotto's fourth show on Bulletproof Radio, and we're going to talk about the direction of his work since our third interview back in 2016, and we're going to talk about his new book that comes out at the end of July. Alberto, welcome back to Bulletproof Radio. Thank you, Dave. Great to be with you. Many listeners may not have heard uh, your uh, like how you came about uh, being where you are, and I want to go through that uh, for new listeners. The show has grown quite a bit in the last uh, year and a half. Uh, so you you went to the jungle as, as a young man because you were hired by a, a drug company to go down and find uh, you know, find cures for all these modern diseases. And what happened with that? By Big Pharma, Dave, I hate to admit it, Big Pharma hired me. I was actually teaching at San Francisco State University, and I was running a laboratory. We were we had a brain lab, and my lab was in the 
in the brain section of biology department. I was surrounded by 200 different brains. And we were looking, we were studying whether we could create psychosomatic disease because we knew we could create psychosomatic health. And I realized I wasn't going to find it in the laboratory. So I packed up, got a research grant and funded by a big Swiss pharma to go into the jungle and help them find the next big heart disease or cancer or dementia cure. And, um, you know, I was a young graduate student, three months in Swiss francs was a lot of money. But I came back empty handed. I didn't find the miracle cure that we're looking for and that would make me famous and both of us rich because there was no cancer, no heart disease and no dementia in these communities that didn't have the, the standard American diet. You know, they didn't get sick. And so you sort of came back empty handed, but you ended up going back down and spending what about 20 years uh, learning from these ancient medical people or medicinal people. Uh, I don't know what to call them, uh, shamans, uh, traditional medicine. How did you do that? Like, how did you go? How did you fund that? How did you decide to kind of put your life on hold and go spend so much time in the jungles? Well, they knew brain science that we didn't know back at the university. They, they knew how to prepare ayahuasca, for example. Ayahuasca is identical to serotonin. Ayahuasca is a very powerful psychedelic, but structurally it's identical to serotonin, which means that it turns your entire brain on at once. And if your brain is clear, if you're not toxic, if you don't have a bunch of mercury in your brain, if you haven't been eating a lot of grains, if you've not been exposed to you know, you, if your mom did not cook in aluminum cooking pots and you did not grow up in a house with lead plumbing, then you could have these amazing visionary experiences. Now, I was very toxic, so I had to go through a process of detoxification to be able to handle my entire brain being turned on at once. And when you do, then you are able to understand how the cosmos works. And then you're able to bring that into your life in a way that's creative and practical. And this is kind of the topic of my new book, which is called The Heart of the Shaman. Because when you turn your brain on, you're actually turning on your heart. And you're able to connect with the heart of sky and the heart of space and spirit in a, in a very tangible uh, way that is not religious. It sounds like what you're saying, though, is, is that if, if your biology isn't working because you're feeding it wrong or because of these toxins, that some of the, the natural but unusual states we're capable of are just not available to us. They're not available. No. Nope. Now, this has been my experience as well. Uh, when I, I went from this point where my brain was really not working and I'd weighed as much as 300 pounds... And I started really working on how do I fix the brain? I ended up eventually having to fix my body. And when I did that, it, it, it made a huge difference. If someone's listening to this, how would they know if, if they're toxic or their diet's wrong? Like, are there signs that you're missing this? this it's ineffable, the connection to the, the universe, connection to you know, heart connection to the sky. Yeah. Like from a science, I mean, you're a brain scientist in addition to having experienced these states, many of which I've experienced, right? Like they're real, yeah. but, but they're also very hard to put words to. How, how does a listener know? Like, oh, I, I need to fix my body or maybe yeah. I just need to meditate. Like, Well, if you don't fix your body, you're not going to have a, uh, an idea of what's possible. It's like when you're sick, 
when you when you stop having a cold, you realize how good it feels to be healthy, and it but and it's the same condition that we're in right now. So that in in the heart of the shaman in the new book, what I say is that the the shaman recognizes that they're not in their fully expanded capacity when they're caught in a nightmare, and there are three nightmares that they get caught in, and it's the nightmare of death, the nightmare of love and the nightmare of safety. So if you find yourself looking for safety in the wrong places or that you're, you can't find love, you can't find it in your partner, in your relationship, in yourself, or you're butting up against fear, and all fear is fundamentally a fear of death, it means that you have to upgrade the system. When I first heard this uh, 15 or so years ago that all fear is a fear of death, I'm like, look, I'm an engineer here. Like, I'm not afraid of dying. Like, there's nothing that's going to kill me. There's no reason for me to be afraid. Therefore, I'm not afraid. What would you say to that? <laughs> I'd say that it, that whole scenario changes when you're faced with the possibility of not dying quickly, but a gradual, slow, debilitated death and wheelchair bound stuck to a bed for the next 10 years while your body decides to die off. This is the ultimate fear. And once you upgrade your brain, you understand that death does not exist. Well, I mean, Alberto, for, for you, I mean, you're a little older than I am. Uh, so that's definitely a greater fear. But when I put, put on my you know, 24-year-old hat, I was afraid I was never going to find uh, you know, the, the right person to be with. Uh, you know, I was afraid I was going to fail in my career. Uh, you know, I, I was afraid no one would love me. I was afraid of being alone. Like, and I worked through all those fears. Like, I, 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 I those don't, those don't drive me anymore. I didn't even know that half of those were my fears, other than fear of like failing in my job. That was a big thing. So, how do those translate to fear of death? Well, the it translates into an attitude of fearlessness. So that what happens when you're being driven by fear, you're being driven by a more primitive brain, by your fight or flight response, by your limbic brain. That's always looking for safety in the wrong places. It's always looking for love in the wrong places. It has a, a pretty twisted model of what success is. You know, the way we measure success is frequently by fame and fortune. And the shaman says, no, you got to measure success by how you're learning to get out of this life alive and plan for this extraordinary journey that's ahead of you. So where are you investing your resources and your energy? And the, so to do that, you've got to wake up. You've got to go through three steps. The first one is to wake up. The second one is to grow up, because you've got to do a little bit of growing up in the process. They'll never make me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and the third one is you've got to show up. Okay. What does that mean? Walk me through those. Well, waking up, it means that you wake up from the cultural trance that we're all kind of embedded into and educated into. The, uh, you wake up to the fact that, that you are on an amazing journey through this life, that you're an explorer, that you're not a slave, that you, that you have tremendous potential and possibility, that you're not a diagnosis. I have people coming into my office with a diagnosis, and that's the worst nightmare you could be given. Because my, my job is to tell them, look, you're a living miracle. You're not an MRI or a liver function test. So waking up is number one. Growing up is absolutely essential because you've got to get over the mommy-daddy stuff. You've got to get over. <laughs> what, what is that, Alberto? That, that's something a lot of people haven't been over, even when they're 60. Uh, what, <laughs> they're, more details there. 
Yeah, you know, you've 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 gotta you've gotta thank them for the lessons, no matter how brutal they were. And when you can get to that point, you're free from that. And the uh, and you've got to grow up because life doesn't give everybody a gold star. You know, you've got to earn it. So growing up is absolutely important. So you're not groveling and dealing with the uh, with the scarcity issues and the mommy daddy issues and I deserve better. I should have been no. Grow up, and then you got to show up. <laughs> but see, this is easy to say, but if your brain is broken, if you're toxic, you can't do that. You're going to be stuck in the same pattern and in pain. And the final one is you got to show up. You got to show up for the adventure. And what does that look like? Well, that that means that your stance that you take with life is that of an explorer, and not that of a victim. And the victim is powerless. The victim is the effect of a cause. The victim is the effect of your genetics or of your family drama or trauma. The explorer, the, the explorer in our language is epigenetic. It says, hey, I may have been born in this family, but I can create, I can, I can have any dream that I want to have. And eventually, what I say in my book in The Heart of the Shaman is that you have to discover a sacred dream. Not just a dream of a little bit better life or a little bit better car or a little bit more money or a little bit nicer looking spouse, but a sacred dream where you can participate in dreaming the world into being. And when the shaman does that, the shamans in the jungle, when they did that, they were called a luminous warrior that has no enemies in this world or the next. And that was an exalted state. When you were a luminous warrior, you were fearless, and you needed—you didn't need any enemies to discover who you were. You didn't need any adversaries. You were able to embark on the epic adventure that we came here to have in this world. So let's say we've got a, a 50-year-old hedge fund manager, and I know there's more than a few of those listening to the show, because uh, some of them have yep. become friends. <laughs> <laughs> Translate what you just said. I, I got enough money. I, I've got you know six Teslas and a Ferrari, uh, and you know I, I feel like I'm I'm showing up. I, I, how does this translate into you know someone who's you know at least outwardly successful and maybe even somewhat inwardly successful? Like, like what are the steps you might take as a you know relatively successful functioning adult? <laughs> well, that's the seduction. That's the seduction. The seduction is I've made it, but what's going to happen when? You know, when you realize that, where do I go from here? Is this what my life is about? And that day of reckoning comes for everybody. For most people, it comes at their deathbed. For the shaman or for us that are conscious, by the way, Dave, did you know that only two species out of more than 10 million species in the planet, that only two species, does the female live beyond menopause? You know that, right? I did not know that. No? Well, there, there are over 10 million species in the planet, and only two, and which are humans and orcas. Does the female live beyond menopause? Because nature has no use for the individual other than to reproduce. After you're no longer useful reproductively, menopause, ciao, goodbye. Right. And these are the two smartest species. And this kind of intelligence that nature looks for it's what we call spirituality, not religion. Religion is about making life a little bit safer, more comfortable, and explaining a bunch of things. And 
No, this is spirituality, which is what the explorer looks for. This is the exploration of consciousness, of who am I in this world and what's my journey about? And particularly if the journey extends beyond this life. Okay, so, so now you just you lost a lot of people who are, who are listening saying beyond this life. What, what does that mean? And I mean, I, I've, I've spent lots of time in altered states. I don't have an issue with it, but half of listeners are saying, what do you mean beyond this life? Uh, walk me through your perspective on that. Well, the uh, the shamans and believe me, I was you know I was working in a brain research laboratory. <laughs> I had no interest. I had no interest in life after death <clears throat> until I experienced it. Until I literally died in the Amazon during a ceremony, and was able to see that life continues. Now, if you don't become conscious, if you don't develop this gift of intelligence, that biology remember biology is an experiment in in intelligence not only in reproduction, in intelligence. And you have the ability to create psychosomatic health. You have the ability when you wake up your higher brain function to understand the continuity of life. And then you've got to position yourself to how, how do I make the best investment if life does continue? What do I do? And that's where your attention begins to gravitate now towards personal growth and towards the great awakening. The, the awakening, the understanding that we're going to continue, but religion tells you that that's a given, that you have an eternal soul. And the shamans just laugh at that. They say, oh, religion says that to you so you can keep building that pyramid. <laughs> but the shamans say, no, you have the possibility of eternity, but you have to earn it. And you earn it by becoming a person of power and a person of wisdom in this life. Ah, Talk about a good investment, man, that keeps paying off <laughs> way into the future. But you only understand that when you wake up your higher cortical capabilities, your higher brain capabilities. Then you see it. Then it becomes totally clear. If you don't, then this is just a theory. But this is an experiment that's verifiable once you detox your brain, once you feed it the neuronutrients like DHA and the... the um, and the neuronutrients that are going to repair the regions in the brain, the hippocampus, that are going to let you have a really radically new experience. I, I just have to give a shout out to medical imaging here. My hippocampal volume is at the 87th percentile for guys my age. So I think my hippocampus is doing well. And I think that was some sort of brain MRI, fMRI probably, uh, when I had that done. But it is possible to, to grow it back. And uh, tell me about growing your own brain back. Well, you grow it. You can actually, you can improve you, the yeah. size of, you can increase the size of your hippocampus in six weeks, but you need the brain nutrients. Exactly. And the, the brain nutrients we know are DHA and the, um, and the things that are the BDNF uh, activators, the brain-derived neurotropic factors that will get your brain to grow again. See, when we went to college day, we thought that you didn't re regenerate brain cells. Today, we know that we do. If you can increase your hippocampal volume. <clears throat> if you can upgrade the quality of the brain, get some of the mercury out of the brain. Remember that heavy metals in particular are stored in fat tissue, and the brain is mostly fat. Breast milk is 40% DHA. The brain needs it to grow and to repair. Ayahuasca, serotonin, will repair the hippocampus. 
it's interesting. Uh, BDNF is is a major focus of Headstrong, uh, the book that I wrote. And it turns out almost every practice that grows mitochondria also grows BDNF. And specifically, ayahuasca in studies increases BDNF in the brain. When that happens, you can grow your brain back. Absolutely, you can. But to do that, you need to have an adequate supply of serotonin because ayahuasca is identical to serotonin. And what produces serotonin, 85% of your serotonin is produced in your gut by your gut flora. So if your gut is not repaired, you cannot upgrade your brain, no matter how much fish oil you take. So this, these are the hurdles that are keeping modern humans out of functioning at a fairly low level of stupidity or low-grade <laughs> low intelligence from an evolutionary standpoint. You, you said that you died in the jungle during a shamanic ceremony. What happened? Well, I saw my own death. And when I reflected on it the following day, I understood that what I saw and what I experienced, I lived, I went through this death, but I woke up the next day alive, was the death that I feared I would die when I was a little boy. This was the death, the shamans said, this is the death that is festering within you, <clears throat> and you've gotten rid of it. So what I was getting rid of it was, of was some very deeply seated fears. And then I met death. Then I met the angel of death. And the angel of death is a metaphor, of course. Death is, um, is part of life. It's a very natural process. But in meeting this angel, I understood that the beauty of life is that it ends, is that in transience, the fact that we're passing through this life, impermanence, this flower that I smelled today, this morning, is not going to be there tomorrow. <clears throat> That's what makes it so exquisite. And I became eminently comfortable with my own journey through this world. And that gave me the a courage that I never had before. Before, I was afraid for my job at the university. I was afraid I was not going to make tenure as a professor. I was afraid I was not going to have enough money to, <clears throat> to raise my family. What I received as a gift was an immense dose of intravenous courage. <laughs> and this is how I live my life today. I don't live it with a what if, what might happen, but what are the possibilities? And this is what we have as a promise for each one of us that are willing to do the experiment in intelligence that biology has programmed for us. So you've got to upgrade the brain, you've got to wake up, grow up, and then you got to show up. Every book I've ever read about uh, advanced spiritual traditions, all the different shamanic practices around the planet um, have something to do with, with death. Whether you're looking at like an Inuit, uh, an Inuit initiation ceremony or something down in a jungle in a very different environment, there's always something where there's a, a ritualized death. Um, and I believe that the mechanism or the reason that they're doing that is exactly as you described. It, it's to remove that fear because when you at least experience the sensation of it uh, and you realize that, well, you didn't die, it removes fear. And like you said, it, it increases courage. So all of a sudden you can show up because, you know, I'm not going to die. Uh, or maybe you will die. But if so, th the intrinsic fear of it, it has dropped away. And for the, the skeptics listening um, who are saying, come on, like, like this is all too far out there. Here's where I ended up on this. I cannot prove beyond a, a rational doubt that there is an afterlife or that there isn't. 
I can tell you though, that if my nervous system, like the primal parts of me believe <laughs> that there is one, whether or not I do is different. Mm. Um, it removes an enormous amount of fear from my, my automated behaviors, the things that happen when I'm not thinking about it. So at a minimum, I can program myself uh, to believe that, hey, if, if I die, I'm probably coming back. And, <laughs> right? and if I do that, everything I do is easier uh, in, in this life. And if I'm wrong, I'm not going to know it. And if I'm right, I'm grateful <laughs> I did it. Like You can't lose being open to the idea and saying, hey, you know, I'm just going to make that assumption. Not, not always in my rational process. I'm not going to go do things that are going to put me at a high risk of death. Uh, but I, I am going to do the things I am going to do without the drag on my performance that comes from worrying about death. So, Dave, you're making it okay for the skeptic, saying that if your nervous system is in agreement with, with this theory, then it's going to make your life a whole lot simpler. What I'm suggesting is that if you have not had the experience of infinity, of timelessness, of your continuity beyond this existence, it means that you haven't upgraded your brain enough. It's that it's really an invitation to take the next step in the exploration, not only be able to multitask, not only to see the hidden nature of things, but to understand the fundamental nature of reality. And this is what shamans have always attempted to do. They wanted to understand how the whole thing, the cosmos worked. And we can do that, but we need to have access to these higher order neural networks. Uh, my own path has taught me that the world is is more complex and has more layers than we, we think it is. And it's it's kind of funny. One of the first things that, that taught me that is when I was 16, I got a, a radar detector in my car because I liked to speed at the time, as a lot of 16-year-olds do. And I was I would drive around, and I'm like, I'm driving through all these invisible fields, and like I can't see them, but I have this little thing that beeps every time I go through them. So I'm like, there's one landscape where I see roads and cars and trees, and there's another landscape where there's these like bubbles I'm driving through that are totally invisible, but they're real. And <laughs> Yeah, like could there be other invisible bubbles? I'm I don't know, but the answer is there are things that I don't normally perceive. And when I did ayahuasca, um, way before it was cool, uh, way Jesus had to be around uh, 1999 or something, 2000, some, something like that, uh, a long time ago in Peru, and and many of these other experiences, you know, fasting in a cave and uh, for four days, and and just many other lineages going to Tibet, you do go into these altered states and, and these are normal natural human states um, they're just not common states and i've learned i think as as you have so eloquently stated that if you don't have the hardware working it's very hard to tune into those stations yep precisely now if yep. you're a skeptic though like these stations are they're 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 easy they're psychosis they're, they're brain damage they're crazy talk what do you what do you say to people who have that perspective? You know, I don't. I usually don't like to to give lectures to people that have that perspective. <laughs> it's like it's like trying to explain to them that uh, that uh, that mercury poisoning is not good for your brain, or that you should really be uh, on in in mild ketosis all the time. They're not going to get it. You know, when they're ready, they will get this yeah. after they've tried mild ketosis. After they understand what mTOR, you got to get mTOR. You got to yeah. understand that this is the fundamental signaling system since amino acids first appeared on the planet four billion years ago, and you and when you learn to work with that, you're going to be able to create. You're going to hack your biology. You know, you talk about this ten years ago, people laughed at you. 
And the, these same people that we're talking to are the ones that are going to be doing the great experiment. I have a technique called tripling down on mTOR that's in the Bulletproof Diet. But can you walk people through what mTOR is uh, just because some listeners haven't read it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was assuming they would all have read your also, book. Also, your book, too. Anyways, you, you read about mTOR in your last book as well. I yeah, do yeah. In, my, in my new book also. Oh, it's in the new book. Uh, mTOR is the most ancient signaling system that all creatures have in the planet. And to under, see, we think that to understand nutrition, we need to go back 2 million years ago. To really understand what we need to eat, we need to go back about 3,000 million years ago when there were only bacteria. And before the appearance of bacteria, you had this primordial soup in the planet that was primarily the uh, uh, amino acids. Basically, there was methane and the primordial gases in the planet that when they were struck by lightning would create the very first amino acids. And there are, there are hundreds of amino acids, but there are only 20, 22 that are fundamental to life. So mTOR, that it stands for mammalian target of rapamycin, mTOR senses nutrients that are available in the environment for the cell to either divide and procreate or go into survival mode. And survival mode meant repair and upgrading and healing. And this is, this is what we do when we do intermittent fasting. We're down-regulating mTOR. We're saying, hey, reproduction, if you're a mother, you're carrying a child, you have this creature that's sucking all of your nutrients and all the calcium out of your bones. You don't want to do that during starvation. So during times of starvation, mTOR will make the female, will make it impossible for her to get pregnant because it's not evolutionary. So when mTOR senses there's a lot of nutrients around, it goes into building muscle into early puberty so that we can reproduce. And it's through the regulation of mTOR that we can get our body to upgrade itself, to repair, to go. We're, when we're saying to mTOR, hey, we, we're going to go into a cyclical feasting and fasting routine like our great ancestors did. So we would go into repair mode for two or three days, and then we get a good hit of protein. We found some roadkill. We bring it home, and mTOR would be upregulated again, and you would go into, into building because you, you need to build the muscle. But what happens later on is that, for example, if you take really – very basic organisms like yeast, and you starve them completely, you double their lifespan. But they're not very happy. <laughs> so, so we want to we work with this starvation principle because at that point, when we're down-regulating down mTOR, there's a point in which you're up-regulating all of the higher-order neural networks in your body, not just your brain. And there you're able to have these transcendental experiences. And then you understand that, they're, that we're part of a great experiment. And then you, then you wake up. See, what my new book is about is waking up from three dreams that keep us caught in fear. And you can only do that once you access the higher brain. You wake up from the dream of scarcity or safety, the dream of death, and the dream of love that dream that turns into a nightmare. 
And then you can have a sacred dream. And in the book, I talk about the shamanic techniques that you can do to help you wake up from these dreams and into your sacred dream. But that's a brief thing on mTOR. Uh, well, it's it's fantastic because every tradition, at least every spiritual tradition, um, every ancient spiritual tradition that I've I've I'm aware of has a period of fasting involved. Uh, and a lot of modern practices do as well. But it, it's clear that there's something interesting going on there. But you go a lot deeper than that in your new book. And I, I have I've received the outline that you sent, but I haven't read the the copy, uh, the the pre-publication copy. Whenever that comes out, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But you do talk about time travel in the book, uh, which is a, a really powerful shamanic technique. Can you explain what that is and how you do it? Well, the notion here is that if you can get to these higher states of consciousness, time becomes fluid. Time becomes flexible. You can actually anticipate what's going to be happening a year from now or 100 years from now. These were the prophets of old. But if you were a shaman and you lived on the coast, you had to take the fishermen to where the fish were going to be the next morning. If you lived in the mountains, you would have to take the hunters to where the buffalo we're going to be the day after tomorrow. And if you got there and there were fresh buffalo tracks, but no buffalo, you were out of a job. So you had to track into the future. And this is a, this is a capability. We think that these are supernatural powers. They're not. They're totally natural capabilities that have to do with achieving extraordinary human potential. You break out of linear time. You're able to discern which way things are going in the future. And you're actually able to journey there to, in your imagination, in your mind, to be able to install the kind of future that you want to have for yourself. So you're able to co-create a destiny and not just be in the grip of a preordained fate. I know this is getting pretty out there, but this is what happens when you understand the experiment. And it's an experiment in intelligence and in spirituality, not in religion. <laughs> religion is a very different thing. It's, in, it's, it's about exploration. I've read about uh, the Cody London Tracker School, which is something that's on my list of things to do. And this is a guy who uses you know, ancient uh, techniques to, to train hunters just in a week or two of you know being outdoors to, to know where the animals are in, in a way that somehow... I don't, I'm not particularly plugged into that, but I had something happen in, in my front yard a few weeks ago. I walked out and I saw a bald eagle on the ground in the front pastures. And I thought, oh, it's probably injured because you don't really see bald eagles on the ground very often. So I walked over there thinking, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have to rescue this thing. And then it flies away and just screams angrily at me. And I look and there's you know, a rabbit half dead. But what was fascinating to me is I looked around in the trees and there was another eagle, probably the partner of that one. There was also a falcon. There were two species of owls and two hawks. And all of them were there to share on the feast uh, that the eagle had taken down. And the owls are supposed to be asleep. They're nocturnal. But somehow these animals were plugged into some sort of information system where they all knew that food was there. And we could say, oh, they probably heard it. And maybe they did, right? But maybe they just knew. And I was completely blown away. It's like, I, you really don't see falcons around here that much, but how did they all know to triangulate on one kill given that they fly for, you know, a, 
dozens and dozens of miles every day to be right there at the right time? I don't really know, but it sure looked interesting to me. Is that the kind of skill that we're talking about? That's exactly the kind of skill we're talking about, but we want to apply it to a human scale. How How do you make sure that you're there at the right time, that you show up at the right time? Not when the buffalo are about to come by or after the buffalo have gone by. Not when opportunity has passed you. So how do you, and this is called in psychology, they call it synchronicity. How do you have this magical synchronous relationship with life when the day that you're running a couple of minutes late, the train happens to be late that day? (laughs) And this is really an invitation for us to explore how we can hack our consciousness how we can hack the field in a really creative way to ex- to experience our complete, uh, extraordinary humanity that extends to this region that we have called the the, uh, the 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 extraordinary, the beyond human, which is not. Do you believe in luck? I rely on luck. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I count on it, and it shows up for me. So, so luck, luck is uh, luck is exactly that. When you work with the shamans in the high Andes, they'll do a ceremony to call your luck back because you become unlucky. You know, you hit all the red lights, and the way to work instead of all the green lights, or in your life, you hit all the red lights. And when they do the ceremony where they upgrade the quality of the information in your energy field. Suddenly, your luck changes. You're not swimming against the current anymore. Life is conspiring on your behalf instead of against you. So, yeah, here's where we start getting into what is the next level in uh, in this great exploration. Once we have detoxified the body, gotten some of the poisons out of the brain, uh, trained a little bit the mind through meditation or through athletics. You know, athletics are the Western practice of meditation or, or, or in the gym. And then what happens in the great exploration? How do we understand how the universe works <laughs> personally without the math? Because I was never very good at math. <laughs> <laughs> So you so you need the you need the brain nutrients you need to detox you need the ketosis and um and then you need to say yes to the invitation. You know I had a dream two nights ago in my dream I was having dinner with my father who had died 20 years ago and we were in a galleon in a ship that had cannons on the sides where we were being served on the deck this scrumptious dinner with a wine from 1640. I remember the the the, uh, the date of the wine, which I thought was probably the date of the ship also. And it seemed perfectly normal. In the dream, it was the most natural thing in the world for us to be in this galleon 400 years ago. And this is the same with this dream that we're waking in, up into every day. It seems perfectly natural and normal. But when you wake up inside the dream, when you wake up and you remember, when you wake up inside the dream and you know that you're dreaming, that's called a lucid dream. But when we do that in our waking dream, this is also a kind of lucid dream. And you suddenly understand that you're the dreamer and that you're no longer being dreamt by your genetics or by your diagnosis or by your family drama or by the politics of the time, but you can become the dreamer and change the dream. 
And this is the uh, what the heart of the shaman is about and what the essence of the great, um, the ancient teachings are. This is at least what I discovered in my time in the, uh, in the Amazon jungle. You also discovered something called primordial light. And you write about it in your new book. What is primordial light? The primordial light is the substance that we're all made of. Because we're all light beings. We're made of light. You know, what happens when photosynthesis is we're taking light and turning it into plants. And then we're eating plants and we're turning it back into light in the Krebs cycle. And um, in my, our mitochondria take, take sugars and fats and they turn it back into light into a molecule called ATP, which is light. It's adenosine tri-3-phosphate. Phosphate is light. So we are beings of light. Mitochondria communicate with each other through light. And we communicate with each other through light also. But you can't do that if your brain is toxic. When you say we communicate with each other through light, I mean, isn't sound a primary way? Or do you mean through vision? Or do you mean some sort of esoteric light? Like, what does that mean? No, I mean through, through, the, uh, through light that's off the visible spectrum. Okay. So it, because we it, see. That's, yeah. Okay. No, no, that's outside of the visible spectrum. Oh, not what your yeah. out, not what your eyes see, but what your field, your energy field perceives. And this primordial light is really the matrix that informs all of creation and that we can experience directly. But again, this has to be verified through personal experience. Don't believe what I'm telling you. But take it on as an invitation to try the, try the experiment. Try the experiment. But I'd like to reiterate that um, we have been detoxifying ourselves. We've been priming our brain for enlightenment with the foods that we're eating. You've done a brilliant job of showing us the way to health and the way to, to, to find inner peace. And now, once we've established that, that we have that foundation, then we can embark on a greater experiment because we came here for exploration of what it means to be conscious that's why there, we're only one out of the two species that longevity that nature gives the possibility of longevity to and is to explore these realms alberto thanks so much for for your teaching and your your lifetime of inquiry and being curious and can you tell people where they can find uh, your new book when it comes out? So what, in July? The new book is out July 1st. It's called Heart of the Shaman, Heart of the Shaman. It'll be at booksellers everywhere at Amazon, Heart of the Shaman. And my website is www.the4winds.com. And there's a lot of interesting material there on the shamanic diet and some stuff on mTOR, which, by the way, I love what you did with, uh, with your new book. Um, and some invitations to further exploration. I, I would encourage you, even if you're saying, I don't normally read books about uh, shamanic stuff. Uh, Alberto's writing is clear, and he has walked the path his entire life. I, I know him well and what he's saying has merit, and it's totally worth your time to read his book. I'm certainly going to read it as soon as I get my copy of it, and just the outline of it has me excited. So Alberto, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Appreciate your time and appreciate you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Blessings, and uh, take it on to the next level.
If you enjoyed today's episode, you know what to do. Go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, which will take you straight to the show page on the Apple Store, and you can leave a review that says that this podcast was worth your time. Alberto is a very special human being. He knows a lot of amazing stuff, both from the science side and the personal development, spiritual side of things. And what I'm finding in my own course of Becoming Bulletproof is that you can't ignore either one of those domains if you want to show up all the way in the world and hacking my biology, looking at my thought processes, and even the spiritual side of being human have all provided a lot of returns on the time that I spend doing those things. And I hope it does for you as well. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.